Welcome into the NFL on Fox podcast presented by Verizon. I'm Dave Hellman. Somehow, some way, we're already at the first bye weeks of the season as we dive in to week five, which starts on Thursday night. First four teams already on their week off. The Cleveland Browns, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting some well-earned time off. It feels awfully early in the season, but that's how these sorts of things go. In my opinion, of those teams that we're not going to see this weekend, I don't know that there's one that I'm more interested in than the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. No disrespect to anybody else. Seahawks, I figured you were going to be good. We weren't so sure about Tampa Bay. Buccaneers transitioning to life without Tom Brady. Lo and behold, a month into the season, they're 3-1. and one. What a perfect opportunity to dive into that, and what a great coincidence that our good buddy, Fox NFL insider Peter Schrager just so happened to get some insight into the Buccaneers this week. He had a chance to sit down with Buccaneers general manager, Jason Light. So why not bring it to this podcast as well? Peter, I would love to get some insight from you into what has made the start to this Buccaneers season so successful. I think, Dave, you'd probably agree. It's probably the most pleasant surprise of the start of the season. You could argue the Texans yeah. at two and two after, you know, what they went through this last couple of years, maybe. And I think the Rams are a nice pleasant surprise. But like the Bucks to be three and one heading into October, I don't think anyone saw that happening, especially with Brady leaving. So I've had a long relationship with Jason Light. He's been the GM since 2014 in Tampa, and I've interviewed him dozens of times. I said, would you sit down, you know, during the bye week, which is where they're at right now? And and either way, good or bad, you know, go through how the season's going. He says, sure, you know, I'll do it. So it just so happens they're three and one. And the bulk of our conversation was on Baker Mayfield because I thought this was fascinating for him. They had Kyle Trask and they knew they wanted a veteran. And Baker, more than being courted by a team, Baker courted the Bucks. Baker came to them and was like, give it, take it, take a chance on me if I'm going to quote ABBA, if I will. And ba Baker came to them and said, here's why I make sense. And they're like, well, we like Kyle. You know, Kyle Trask is going to be a third year quarterback. We like it. And he's like, I give me a shot. Baker went in there and he won that competition outright. And they said Kyle Trask played well this preseason, but Baker was the dude. And I think the word the dude was what stuck with me because throughout this interview, Jason's hitting on me like, you don't understand. Baker's, Baker's the dude. I'm like, well, what? explain it. it. Says Baker Mayfield after the final cuts were made and he was announced the starter quietly without headlines. And it did not make news until this interview I did with him took uh, the offensive lineman to Bahamas and they went golfing for, for a weekend. And, you know, that was on their week after cuts were made and they had that one weekend before the regular season starts. He took the O-line to the Bahamas, gelled with them that way. Says that uh, you could hear stories and it's like almost like folklore now in Tampa that during the week, people will be like, I saw Baker Mayfield out at this bar and not in this bar to go get hammered or to go party and, you know, causing headlines. I saw Baker at this bar with, and it's a string of teammates and it's Baker going to local spots in Tampa and he's buying dinner. And it's, it's on nights on a Tuesday night where that's their off night, but he's with the guys. Um, you've seen the mic'd up now a couple times week one when they beat the Vikings and he told, uh, he told, uh, uh, I think, Byron Murphy, get your weight up. And I think they were kind of bashful about that. Like, that was that supposed to be mic'd up or not? Who knows? But it was made the rounds. And then this week, had a lot more explicit things to say when they won in New Orleans. And the mic'd up stuff is really colorful. And Baker, he's always walked the walk. He's also always talked the talk. And this story is really cool. And I think from the Bucks' perspective, it's really cool for them, too, because here was a team that 
had been building a roster and Jason in particular had been building a roster of homegrown talent and really built a really good foundation of guys that it's not just, you know, Godwin and Evans, who everyone knows, but they built offensive linemen and Tristan Werfs and they bought defensive linemen in Vita Vea, homegrown talent and the entire defensive backfield, homegrown talent. And I think there was a bit of an edge in Jason's voice. And I'm interpreting this from based on our interview, like, that when Brady leaves, everyone just thinks this team's going to fall apart, but that dismisses 52 other players. And Baker also dismissed in so many ways, whether it be in Cleveland, Carolina. And of course, he had the cup of coffee with the Rams, but the Rams didn't sign him to a big deal either. So for these two factions, this team that really believes they were a good team with or without Tom Brady, and for Baker Mayfield, who still believes he's a starting quarterback in the NFL, for them to be a perfect match and for them to be three and one going into the bye, and when they come back, they, they've they had a cool deal. Fox is going to have the game. It's already been flexed from a 1 o'clock game to a 4 o'clock game because it's between the Lions and the Buccaneers, and no one expected that to be a game that mattered, but it already it is. And uh, the Bucs will be rocking the creamsicle jerseys, and they'll be doing that, Ooh. and they'll be unveiling those. So there's a cool vibe in Tampa right now, and Jason, yeah. like the GM, is like, he knows. He's like, guys, I get it. It's week four or it's week five. I, we're not doing any parades, and trust me, we've won a Lombardi. We know what that takes. Um but the Baker Mayfield story, I thought, is just a really cool redemption story, especially if you look at Cleveland, who bailed on him, and they're mired in this Watson thing, who I, I don't know if they would, a hundred times out of a hundred times, would tell you to your face that they're happy with the way that whole thing turned out. I think there's there's a lesson to be learned here about how quickly we move on or throw people on the scrap heap. And I, like, I'm not going to try to say I told you so. I, I picked the Saints to win the NFC South. So, so it's did not I. Like- so did not I. like I'm this crazy Bucks believer, but throughout the offseason, I kept saying, I was like, guys, a lot of the pieces of a Super Bowl roster are still there. You have a great receiver core. You have, I know he moved to left tackle, but Tristan Wirfs is one of the yeah. best O-linemen doing it. The defense is littered with guys who beat the Chiefs in that game. They're all yeah. still there. And the way that so many people were like, yeah, but what's Baker going to do about it? And I'm like, did he really go from people arguing that he's a top seven, eight quarterback in the league to saying he can't do anything in the span of a year and a half. I don't think I ever fully believe that. And yeah, it's, it's a month in, I don't know where it goes. I'm not ready to say the bucks are contenders. We, I mean, there was a pretty obvious gap between them and the Eagles when they played. Yep. Um, it's, it's still a cool story. It's great for Baker. It's cool for the bucks. You absolutely have to take them seriously, at least as a team that can win the South. And yeah, there there probably weren't enough people saying that over the summer. I think I think you're great, by the way. I think you follow the league and you and your stuff is well read and well researched, and you talk to people around the league also. And I think you're in a lot of the same boats that I that 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 people who cover like we all knew that Shaq Barrett was going to be there. We all knew that Werfs was going to be there. That Evans was coming back and Godwin's coming back and. These are guys, Devin White's back, Levante David's back, Jamil Dean's back. These are guys that won a Super Bowl. And this thought that, all right, Brady and a 45-year-old version of Brady who last year wasn't necessarily the one that we got the year before, whatever it is, um, that they would just fall apart because, oh, Brady's gone. I think that's that's more, you know, fantasy football talk and and reading headlines on Twitter talk and not realizing that it is a team game and Gosh, Baker comes in with a huge chip on his shoulder, wins the starting job, and now is the Pied Piper and has all those guys believing. They might end up 7-10 and 10 for all we know. But what I say to preface this thing, pleasant surprise, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, pleasant surprise. 
easily, I mean, like I said, yes, they lost to the Eagles. The Eagles beat them fairly convincingly, but we've got a month of games to look at. The Bucks are easily playing the best football of anybody in that division. Like, don't talk to me about the Panthers. No, no questions. Yet. The questions about Desmond Ritter have proved to be very valid mm-hmm. and our preseason pick, the Saints, um, have to do something about their offensive line before and their play calling before anybody needs to take them too seriously. So, hey, you you only need to be the best team in your division. Maybe it's good luck that the Bucks are playing in a pretty weak one, but that's not their problem. It's not their problem at all. And the NFC is wide open after those first few powers. You got those, I guess you'd say, three teams: the Cowboys, the Eagles, and the 49ers. And then, you know, Seahawks look good. The Bucks look I, good. Like it's wide probably, open. I th- I think, which is something I wanted to Lions. mention to you. I think I'm pretty I'm pretty ready to say the Lions are firmly up there. I get Lions and Seahawks. I guess the Seahawks beat the Lions, but yeah, yeah. Lions Lions have won now on the road in Arrowhead and Lambeau, um, and kicked kicked uh, the Packers' butts last week. They're legit. I Very think quietly, I think they have. They might have the best resume in the entire league. Like, yes, beat Those the two Chiefs at wins. Arrowhead. Yes, they're. I think their opponents so far are ten and five combined on the season, and their only loss was in overtime to another three and one team. Yeah. Like, that's as good as your resume gets in week five. And dude, you look at the NFL schedule makers. The guys there. It's Mike North. It's Charlotte Carey. It's they have a great team of, and they do all the analytics and all things and. They put a lot of eggs in that Lions basket this offseason, and they put their names on it saying, let's give the Lions a couple primetime games to start the season Thursday night. They're going to get a couple others coming up in the near future. They also put the Bears in that basket, and they put the Jets in that basket, and they put the Giants in that basket. And like those might have to be flexed. The Lions, you're not flexing out of the Lions. They've got something going on, and the, the the Detroit football story is pretty cool right now. You did mention the Jets, and okay, maybe maybe in a few weeks we will have to talk about flexing them out of some of these games, but just as we're ready to relegate them to the scrap heap, I mean, if Zach Wilson plays like that, like he played against the Chiefs, then maybe this is at least an entertaining enough team to merit some more eyeballs. I, I'm not ready to go there after one game, but yeah. nobody... Nobody whose last name isn't Wilson expected what we saw against the Chiefs. Um, and and lo and behold, you look at the schedule and it's already the Hackett Bowl. I think maybe yeah. it lost some luster when Aaron Rodgers got hurt, but I'm a lot more interested after watching Zach Wilson play like that than I was a week ago. And the Jets are underdogs in this one in Denver. Um, you know, we just talked about Baker and and you know the redemption story. In a matter of three hours, Zach Wilson went from the punching bag, this bloody carcass that everyone in the media can just crap all over and beat on. And and they've rightfully so he hasn't looked competent this year in his two starts and he has not looked good, but it, in, in, in a matter of instant, in a matter of moments, he has an incredible drive in the third quarter to start the third quarter. He's hitting guys on back shoulder fades. He hits Lazard in the end zone, the two point conversion where he gives up his body and just, it looks like far of him and he's running around and he gets the two point conversion. He goes toe to toe with Mahomes. They lose. And here's a succession of events. Mahomes gives him this incredible post game hug and moment of encouragement. And like, he's got that, yeah. it. and it's the littlest thing, but Jets fans just needed to see like someone other than, the the owners and the coach like pumping up Zach like oh if Mahomes validates him and maybe there is something here and it's and then Rodney Harrison takes these shots 
to Chris Jones in the post game. And Chris Jones, then the opposing defensive star is like, hey, that kid was special tonight. I don't know what you're doing. And Harrison, who is not a Jet, is not an ex-Jet. It's almost like I, I live in New York City. And Dave, it's almost like, Hey, we can we can shit on our quarterback all we want. Like we we the right. second the second you from across yeah. town with your Patriots logo comes in and you try to talk smack about our guy, there's a little bit of so the narrative has changed in New York where oh my god, Zach Wilson went from this this punching bag to this this sympathetic figure where everyone's now pulling for him. They're like, all right, man, like you showed us something and you're still just 23 years old. And, and you've been just beat on for the last, you know, two years in the media and you, you showed you had something and that's all New Yorkers ever want to see a little fight. So they lost the game. There's no moral victories, but gosh, what a difference it makes. And I was at the game and I was able to walk on the field beforehand. And it was a lot of Chiefs fans in there, and the Jets fans were booing. They were 17 nothing. It was booing. But I also got a chance to speak to Rodgers before the game. And I, you know, I've covered this league a long time. You've covered this league. Like when you're told he's going to be in a boot for six weeks, and I, I'm telling you, he's on the crutches. He's not in a boot. He's moving, he moving. swiftly. Yeah. And he and I didn't talk timetable because I don't think anyone wants to put a timetable on this thing. But I was shocked at how nimble, how limber he looked on those crutches before the game. And we spoke for a very, you know, whatever, pregame for a little bit. And he and I have had a great relationship over the years. And we're going back and forth. And I could I could tell he's not all up in it. He's not the one who's like, you know, he's not Drew Brees in the huddle leaving, you know, giving pep talks, but the his presence kind of was cool to see in that that moment. And his presence kind of was felt. And I know he gave the speech Saturday night and I reported it on Fox NFL kickoff. And then Jay Glazer also reported it. And I think a few other reporters reported what the message was. And I don't think Rogers loved that. The, that leaked and then whatever. He also is the guy who goes on national TV every week now and does McAfee and talks about mm -hmm. what's going on also. So I, I don't have any problem saying that he spoke Saturday night and it left a really good impression on those players and they were inspired and the coaches were thrilled to have him. So I think they're in a lot better place this week than they were a week ago when they lost to the Patriots. Same thing, same result, loss. They lost They lost at home and they you don't ever want to lose at home. But going into this thing with Sean Payton, I feel like they're pretty confident they can they can get this thing done. You're you're like moral victories only like you're only allowed so many, but this yeah. is a situation where I'll allow it. I, I think it's fine for everything the Jets have been through since 2010 and what they've been through losing Rogers four plays into the season. I'll give them this. And and I mean, you and I are sickos, but I think anybody listening to a football podcast is probably also a sicko. Yeah. All you got to all you got to do is just just give me a hint that I might be entertained Something. by your game. And I'm, I'm in man. I, I love that you brought up Mahomes. I guess I don't want to put words in his mouth. Cause you know, the, the, the field mics didn't pick it up clearly, but it sounded like he said something similar to Zach of like, Hey man, keep playing like that. Yes. And like, like that, it, I think Mahomes speaks for everybody. Like, yeah, man, you got it somewhere in there. Like you don't have to be the best quarterback in the league, but if you do that on a somewhat regular basis, the Jets are are at the very least a viable team. And Hackett had a had a very different approach. They were down 17-0. So everyone's ready to boo them out. And then we saw a little a little reverse play to Xavier Gibson, the rookie return man, and he got some yards. And we saw Jeremy Ruckert on the field, who's a second-year guy at Ohio State, who here in New York, you would think Jeremy Ruckert's Tony Gonzalez, the way they're asking for him on the field. You know how that goes. Like the backup is always the guy everyone wants like, why are we not seeing Ruckert? Um, right. 
Dalvin Cook might not have it anymore. I, 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 they've been they were trying to get him going, and you know what? They pivoted and they were like, Michael Carter, you're in on a bunch of these plays. Michael Carter's a little scat back, reminds you a little bit of, you know, a Dave Meggett type, like a little undersized, but could make some moves and is shifty in the backfield. And uh, it felt like the Jets weren't just barely getting by on offense or competent on offense. It felt like the Jets were good on offense, and that's that's all they might need with that defense, which is so good. I completely agree. I do. I want to hit you on one more thing. We're already yeah. in the AFC East, so I and, and it's timely. But and you, as a historian of the league, uh, somebody who's watched it for a long time, I think you can appreciate. I got so excited when I saw the Patriots pull what I'm going to refer to as a Jamie Collins special, <laughs> and great. just just buying back J.C. Jackson from oh, yeah. the Chargers for pennies on the dollar, and. I, I, it's especially fun because we got used to this when the Patriots were a dynasty and nothing they did was wrong, but look, it's, it's been four years since then. And the Patriots haven't had that mystique for a while. So I thought it was really fun to see Bill Belichick get back to his, uh, his ways oh, of ripping, ripping off his AFC rivals. So they draft Jamie Collins. He does a bunch of backflips. He has a great career with the Patriots. The Browns pay him a gazillion dollars. They go winless. They sell him. 60 cents on the dollar and then he goes and wins more Super Bowls with the Patriots. It's like that deal like and he's good again and Jamie Collins. I think they also did the same thing with Deion Branch. Like they didn't want to pay him. Seahawks did. He goes to the Seahawks and the Patriots are like, come right back. <laughs> we'll hey pay man, it. go get your money somewhere else and we'll bring you we'll, back. It's we'll fine. bring you back. I um, full, I don't I don't know if JC Jackson's going to be the interception leader again, and, but th- there's no doubt in my mind he will be a useful player for them and that just burns. It's got to burn for the Chargers for Tom he, Telesco to have to to sell that guy back to the team he bought him from. I'm not going to reveal some of the stuff I've heard because it's not like it's not. It's just gossip and market. But like, it was bad with J.C. Jackson in L.A. And apparently, uh, without going into too many details, it was like if we can't rely on you to to be that guy in a big spot, like then what are we even doing? We'll eat the cost, just addition by subtraction. That's a guy they paid, I think, $57 million when they signed him to a contract last year. So that's not great. Um, in a similar fashion, you see what's going up on uh, with, with a former Cowboy guy I used to cover, Randy Gregory, who had this great redemption mm-hmm. story, gets a big contract from the Broncos. I, I I laughed about this because you know you whether it's the agents and how they get the 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 message out or the team how the message. J C Jackson it was like it was a failure in in the Chargers organization. Belichick's taking him back. Randy Gregory was like it was mutual, and Gregory's going to have a long line of suitors. And it's like the way that this thing is revealed, they're both the same. These were big veteran right. signings that were huge swings and misses. Randy Gregory, right. he might sign by the time this thing goes live that we're talking. We're doing this on on a Wednesday afternoon. But the truth of the matter is, sometimes it's just a terrible fit. And J.C. Jackson, with a defensive you know, minded coach in Brandon Staley and a defense that's loaded with big names and Khalil Mack and Bosa and Derwin James, that end wasn't a good fit. So he'll go back to New England where they are in – dire straits right now christian gonzalez with a torn labrum likely uh was in the talk for defensive rookie of the year might be yeah, out for the season the now they're gonna need jc jackson whether he's got it or not i don't know um but the fact that belichick had a home for him and for what he went for you know 60 cents is generous 20 cents on the dollar and the chargers are paying him all that money uh let's see if he could he could kind of you know build his career back it's it's not a good look for the chargers that's for sure i do think I think a lot of front offices use 
this excuse because they don't want to spend money of like, oh, well, who, winning free agency is not the goal. Like anybody can win free agency. But and I know, you know, from my own experience, Cowboy fans get so frustrated with conservative spending. But by and large, mm. if a if the team that that developed the guy doesn't want to pay him, of course, there have been plenty of free agents that have had very successful Great. careers yeah. after yeah. free agency. But so many instances where it's like, I don't know, maybe that should be a little bit of a sign that like if they're letting him get out of town and you've got to compete with all the other teams on the market, the odds that you're going to completely feel good about this deal in a few years, I would say they're against you. It's not impossible, but I would say the odds are probably against you. And then you look at a team like Houston where everyone destroyed their draft because they traded up so much and they gave up such drive. They got a franchise quarterback in CJ Stroud who's putting up historic numbers. They got Will Anderson, who is a Boy Scout on and off the field and has been tremendous. And they're down four offensive linemen and they're two and two and they're blowing out the Steelers. And they didn't do anything crazy in free agency the last few years. They brought in like guys like Dalton Schultz and a couple other guys. Don't get me wrong, but by and large, it's you get good draft picks, you work through the draft, you get guys like Nico Collins and and Jalen Petrie, and you start building young talent. Eventually, it's going to blossom, and that's usually the best path to building a champion, and it's not just signing the, the free agents to the most money. Isn't this thing fun? Like a month in and before the season, it's like, we don't want to talk about the Bucks. And the Texans are what, like they're the least interesting team that drafted a quarterback. You know, we want to hear about Anthony Richardson. We want to hear about Bryce Young. Not writing those guys' careers off, but no. I just don't think anybody saw the Texans being an it team in October, and they absolutely are. And hey, uh, you look at what Richardson did. They lost that game on Sunday. He looked freaking awesome. Stroud, sure Stroud looks awesome. Bryce Young. We'll see. He hasn't looked great yet. We'll see. But like, that's the draft. That's quarterback. Sometimes it's fit. Sometimes it's who's protecting you in the offensive line. Sometimes it's the play caller. And sometimes, you know, you could take a guy like Chris Ballard who rolled the dice on a quarterback with 13 career college starts and out of the gate, Anthony Richardson is fantastic. And CJ Stroud looks like he's the real deal too. So I, all this is saying there's always going to be young quarterbacks and sometimes they're hits, sometimes they're misses. And hopefully for all these guys, it works out. I just love how much this week changes from week to week. That's and I love I, I love getting to talk to you about it every week. So Peter Schrager, thank you so much for the time, my man. This is my pencil for today. It says, I love New York um, and Jets and Giants. I know it's been brutal the last couple of weeks. Let's see how it goes this week. Absolutely. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right, thanks, dude. One more news item I came across that I thought was worth some time is the news coming out of Kansas City. Patrick Mahomes is taking the blame for a lack of production from the Kansas City passing game. He says, if I start playing better, everybody will start playing better. Remember, Kansas City Chiefs outlast the New York Jets 23-20 to on Sunday night. Offense, not a memorable night. Mahomes throws two interceptions, almost throws three. Mahomes continues... I missed some opportunities throughout the game, and so I've just got to put us in better positions and start making better decisions so that the guys can go out there and work for me and make plays down the field. That's what a good quarterback does. He's the leader. He's the face of the franchise. That's why he gets paid the big big bucks. I appreciate you, Patrick. I'm not necessarily buying it. I think when you have two MVPs on the mantle, you don't have to deflect blame, but we don't have to put it on you either. 
I do think this is an interesting story, especially since it's the second straight year we're asking about the Kansas City Chiefs finding production in their passing game. For starters, let's let's everybody not panic. This is the Kansas City Chiefs we're talking about. If anybody deserves the benefit of the doubt, it's them. They're third in the league in total offense, just for some perspective, for all the hand-wringing that might be happening because the big plays aren't as regular as we're used to. They're 21 yards behind their pace from last season, which led the league. So they're they're two first downs away from being back where they were last year. I, I think they're going to be fine. Remember, at this point in the season last year, they had just lost to the Indianapolis Colts 20 to 17. They were five and two at their bye week. So not having it all figured out in the first six weeks of the season is really not an indictment when you've already proven that you can figure these things out and go on and win a Super Bowl. So we're not going to panic, but I do think it is an interesting conversation that the Chiefs are definitely struggling to find production alongside Travis Kelsey. I think, I think that's the issue. Travis Kelsey, obviously the face of this passing attack since Tyreek Hill left. And we know that it can be done because Tyreek Hill left last year. That was the whole thing that led to people writing the Chiefs off was that Tyreek Hill's off to Miami. Can they do it? Of course they can do it. But I do think the Chiefs had more options around Kelsey last season. Say what you will about Juju Smith-Schuster. I'm not calling the guy a superstar, but he made a difference on this offense. He had 19 catches at this point in the season last year, which would be far and away better than anybody on this team right now. Travis Kelsey leads the Chiefs in receptions with 17, and he missed a game. So despite being gone for an extra week, he's the only guy that's finding volume production. Another guy that was here last year, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Never been a volume guy, but but has been a, a deep play guy throughout his NFL career. That looked like it was going to be the case through the first few weeks of the season. Two catches for 50 yards in the season opener, a catch for 37 yards against Chicago, but really stop start. I mean, I, I wouldn't have guessed that MVS would have six catches through the first month of the season, even if he's not a volume guy. And again, that's just part of the larger problem. I think the Chiefs expected Kadarius Toney to really step up and and be that guy who could compliment Kelsey. That's why they traded a third-round pick for him last year. Hasn't happened. We know he had the disaster game in the season opener against Detroit. Not writing his season off yet, but the consistent production just hasn't really materialized. The number two receiver in the Chiefs offense right now is rookie Rasheed Rice, and the number three option in their offense in terms of catches with 10... Isaiah Pacheco, if you're new to football or if you're not following me, he's a running back. When you're talking about the downfield passing game, if your running back is third on your team and catches, doesn't say great things for what's happening down the field. Sky Moore is another guy. Chiefs used a second round pick on him a year ago. Had a nice game in Jacksonville. But the point is we're, we're not seeing the consistency. We're not seeing a guy that has stepped up every week to take pressure off of Travis Kelsey. If you didn't see it in the news, Aaron Rodgers famously, I think he called Travis Mr. Pfizer. Not going to get into that, but good defenses have been capable, capable of limiting Kelsey. He had 26 yards and a touchdown against the Jags, had 60 yards on Sunday night against the Jets. It is possible to keep him from taking over a game if you 
put all of your resources on it. And the Chiefs just haven't found the guy who can step up and take pressure off. They're moving the ball plenty well. And getting getting to the red zone 16 times in four games is perfectly good. Nothing wrong with that. The problem is they're just not cashing in on it. I, I looked this up, actually. I think we all agree at this point, the Chicago Bears, who played a night, to this point in the season, the definition of, of hopeless, of hapless, they went five of five in the red zone against that team at home. In their other three games, they're four of 11. Therein lies the problem. I think that's why you're scoring offenses down. Somebody needs to step up and, and help Travis Kelsey and help Patrick Mahomes be a reliable option other than just that. Maybe it's Rice. Maybe it's Rasheed Rice, the rookie. Hasn't had a breakout game to this point, but he's second on the team in production, in catches. He's been targeted six times in the red zone, which I think is interesting. Maybe that doesn't sound like a huge number, but it puts him among the league leaders. I find it fascinating that besides Kelsey, he's probably the guy that the Chiefs trust the most to target down there where the field shrinks and where the plays are so much more important. I've dedicated a few minutes to this. I want to stress again, I'm really not worried about the Chiefs. It's a long season. We know they're going to be fine in the end because they've got five years of history that suggests it. We've got a year of history that suggests they don't need Tyreek Hill either. But even uh, even a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster, you see, you see the dividends of having a guy you can count on. Maybe they can get MVS going again. The big play threat to replace Tyreek Hill, even in a smaller manner. Maybe Rasheed Rice continues to develop. Maybe Kadarius Tony bounces back from, from this early season slump. But I do think it has to be somebody. Otherwise, it could be tough sledding for the Chiefs. And you know what? I think enough of Patrick Mahomes that they'll win a lot of games regardless. But you don't want it to be that difficult for your quarterback, even if he's the best in the world. Somebody not named Kelsey is going to need to be a more consistent option in this offense. And that's not Patrick Mahomes' fault. All right, that brings us to Thursday night football. One for the real sickos, the Chicago Bears traveling down to FedEx Field to take on the Washington Commanders. I, it's, I feel sorry for the Bears at this point. I don't know what else to say. Like As if it wasn't enough that they're 0-4 and looking like a, a very putrid football team currently owning the top two picks in the draft. They can't seem to stay out of the news for the wrong reasons. Like we talked about this earlier in the week. It's been a topic of conversation all season. Now heading into this game, Matt Eberflus, the head coach in Chicago, asked if he feels the support from Bears brass, from ownership in the front office. Eberflus said, I feel the support. I haven't talked to anybody about any of those things, but I feel the support and we're just focused on Washington. So I don't know. I don't know how you feel with support from people you haven't talked to. It's been a regrettable week for Eberflus trying to navigate all of the chaos of losing to Denver in spectacular fashion, not having Chase Claypool, not letting Chase Claypool in the building for this game. And oh, by the way, you got to go on the road and win on a short week. Can't say I feel good about it. I was shocked to look at the line on this game and see that the commanders are six point favorites. Not to talk trash on the commanders, but this is a young team with a young quarterback, Sam Howell, in his first season as the starter. 
you would assume that it's a a pick them or maybe a three point line because the commanders have home field advantage, but no factor in the part where they're at home and Washington is expected to win this game by a touchdown. I just think it says a lot about where the bears are. And that's why I'm, I'm leaning into the home team in this game. Word came down Wednesday. The bears have ruled out two members of their secondary cornerback, Jalen Johnson, safety, Eddie Jackson ruled out of this thing. Safety Jaquan Brisker is questionable. He might not play. And that's what it boils down to for me. Sam Howell has been fantastic for a first year starter with the exception of one game. Buffalo put him in hell in week three because they pressured him. They sacked him and they confused him. That veteran secondary with the bills picked him off a whole heap of times. I think it was four. I lost track. Honestly, the bears don't have that. Their secondary is missing from this game and they don't have much in the way of a pass rush. Sam Howell should feel plenty comfortable. And remember he played great on the road against the Eagles who do have a lot of that stuff. Didn't stop him from playing a very good game. I think Sam Howell is going to look good. I think the commanders have a very favorable matchup on the defensive front. Jonathan Allen, Deron Payne, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. I love saying all those names. It's so much fun. I think that is a heck of a matchup for the Bears offensive line to worry about. I don't know if the commanders cover. I, like I said, I think that's a big, big line for a young team. But I do think the commanders get a home win and improve to three and two and continue their storybook season. And I think the Bears fall to 0 and 5, which leaves you with the question who's the last winless team standing. I think the bears lose tonight. I don't like the Carolina Panthers odds either. They've got Detroit, but if I'm picking who's going to be the last one left, I do think the bears have a more favorable path to their first win next three at commanders. I just picked against them, but I do think it's a winnable game. If Justin Fields plays as well as he did against Denver, I think the bears could win this game. You got the Vikings, not much defense to be worried about there. I think I like the bears odds to put up points and the Raiders who are in a similarly terrible situation themselves. One of those games looks like a win. And then you flip over to Carolina and you see at Detroit at Miami home against Houston, who look like one of the hot stories of the league right now with CJ Stroud lighting things up. I think the bears get off the schneid first. I don't know what that means for their win total. I still think they're going to have some really nice draft picks when this season's over. I don't know what that means for Matt Eberflus's job security, but I do think the bears won't be the last winless team standing. I do think that'll be Carolina. We'll see if that helps the bears odds tonight in DC. I'm not feeling it, but we'll see. All right, before Thursday night football kicks off, let's get to the picks for Survivor Pool. You asked for them, you get them. I'm actually two for two since we started this segment, which I feel pretty good about. Seattle and San Francisco coming off the board the last two weeks. If you're watching us, look at the pretty graphics my producers made with my picks blurred out. So if you're not keeping track, don't worry. I am because I'm perfect so far. I wish I was doing this for money. I've taken Baltimore, the New York Giants, the Seahawks, and the 49ers. A nice little 4-0 to start the season. I got to say, I'm, I'm starting to get nervous. Not because I've taken too many good teams, but the matchups are just getting a little less obvious for my liking. Last week, the, the 49ers, the Eagles... 
Chargers and Chiefs made up 81% of survivor pool predictions, according to our data. Yeah, when the, when the matchups are this close, maybe stick with what you know. I don't see one that I love. Like, not even... Not even like Chiefs at Vikings makes me feel good because again, that is a wonderful home field advantage for for Minnesota. Even if they're not that good of a team, that makes me a little bit nervous. You can say the same thing about the Eagles going out to the West Coast to play the Rams. We've seen how good the Rams offense can look. So that leads me to two that I do feel good about and two that I would recommend you take. It's Detroit hosting Carolina. Carolina, God love you. I'm a big Bryce Young fan. I'm on the record saying I would have drafted him first overall too. He's so calm and collected in the pocket. That offense just isn't doing anything for me. I refuse to believe the Lions are going to get outscored by the Panthers, even knowing that the Panthers' defense is good. I like the Lions at Carolina. I really like the Dolphins in a rebound spot against the Giants. Whew. I mean, you saw what the Seahawks did to New York's offensive line, and I don't know if that's all going to be fixed in one week. I feel very good about the Dolphins hosting the Giants. They're probably pissed off about getting humiliated by the Bills. I don't think either one of those two can steer you wrong. I'm leaning Lions because I want to save the Dolphins. I think Dolphins are... They could go off for 30, 40, 50 points at any time this season. I want to keep that in my back pocket. So I'm leaning Lions... I feel really good about it. If you're looking for something sneaky, I can't take Baltimore. They were my week one pick over Houston, which you got to love the NFL season. I would have never picked the Ravens to beat the Texans if I had known what CJ Stroud would become, but survived that. If you haven't picked Baltimore, I think taking them to beat Pittsburgh is a sneaky bet. Not as not as safe feeling as Detroit or or Miami, but yes, Mike McDonald, Ravens DC, going against Kenny Pickett, who's already struggled this season. Oh, and he's hurt now. I like the Ravens' odds to get a win in that division rivalry. I think they're going to make life difficult on Kenny Pickett. So, if you're looking for something outside the box, that would be my pick. But like I said last week, try not to overthink it. Panthers, Lions. It's in Detroit. I feel good about it. We'll see how that goes. That's my survivor pick for the week. That wraps it up for a Thursday episode of the NFL on Fox podcast. Don't worry. We'll be back tomorrow. We've got a jam-packed show. We're previewing week five. We're recapping Bears commanders. It's going to be fun, y'all. I appreciate it. Go find us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, all of the social platforms. I can never remember all of them, but we're on everything. Please. Give us a listen. Tell a friend. Tell your family. Appreciate y'all. I will catch you Friday.